Good morning, wonderful listeners. You've tuned into Post Session Podcast, a podcast filled with the stoke of a surf session and the wise guidance of an ocean voyager. Your water-loving hosts are ready to share this infectious state of mind while encouraging and inspiring you for your next adventure. Welcome, Post Session Podcast listeners. We are super excited today. We are excited to be back in the record seat. Yeah, even though we're not in our studio. And Ashley, I think you're introducing our guest. Yeah, I'm introducing our guest. I want to welcome Charlie Ingle to the show. I've been calling you Mr. Ingle because I want to impress you with my good Southern manners, but I was hoping we could just go with Charlie moving forward. Pretty sure that's pretty sure that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, the extent of my Southern hospitality. Stecofency. Is that what yeah. it is oh when you're brown God. nosing? Yeah. Anyway. If you haven't heard of them, Sycophant. crawl out from whatever rock you've been living under and Google them because Google knows all about them. <laughs> this guy, everybody, is an adventure racer, a cameraman, ultra marathon runner, desert crosser, mountain summiter, recovering. Criminal. What? That's a criminal. Did you just, yeah, jailbird. <laughs> we got that down there. A writer, most importantly, a father. Yeah. Uh, and we just deeply appreciate you being here with us. Um, Charlie, we want to talk about some of those things, but Laurel had a good idea. She wanted to frame this as a sort of reflective episode mm. because there's sure. plenty of literature and interviews and everything out there about all the cool yeah. things you've done. Um, so we want to talk about, you know, how you reflect on some of the things you've done. Does that sound all right? Perfect. That sounds great to me. Can't wait. Let's do it. Well, we always start our podcast with what we call a section called post-session notes. And so often that is um, post-session surf session. I'm a surfer and Ashley's a free diver. So mm -hmm. what she's done in the water, but we'd like to include any sport. So running or, or you know. We're inclusive. Yeah, we're inclusive group. Yeah. So uh, would you like to start our post-session note? Okay, sure. So more instruction, please. So here's the thing. You probably haven't been surfing recently. <laughs> And maybe you haven't been freediving recently either, but we know you've been running or biking or something like that. No doubt. So did you do something this morning? So um, I did not do anything this morning yet. Dang. I had that early doctor's appointment. But what's going to happen as soon as we finish today is, uh, in full disclosure, is I will be in my uh, infrared sauna for about 20 minutes that I nice. just got, which I'm Ooh. super excited about. And then down to my, uh, cold plunge out on the back deck. And so there'll be about an hour of that. And then there'll be a nice bike ride this afternoon and I'll hit the gym. I'm in a, I'm in a particular, uh, state of sort of health and fitness as opposed to training for a particular thing at this moment. So, uh, and I will also do an hour of breath work this afternoon. So it's kind of a, it's a, it's an all around health day for me. I like it. Cross breath training. Work. <laughs> yeah. So my, uh, my husband really loves listening to podcasts while he works. And of mm. course, as free divers, we, you know, are familiar with breath work and all that kind of stuff but he's been trying hard to incorporate cold plunging. And yeah. so far, the only person that sticks with is our five-year-old son. He'll cold plunge all day long. We <laughs> live on the Cape Fear River. So he's out, he, he cold plunged yesterday. Aww. Uh, the rest of us just, I need to be pushed in. 
is how it is. <laughs> I'd have yeah. to be pushed in. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, what's funny is it's it's taken time. It's it's taken me a mental approach to just simply. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if I waffle on what I'm doing, it's Mm-mm. it's hopeless. Mm-hmm. It's just I have a couple of. Um, I got turned on to this pretty good uh, app called Othership. If you know those guys, it's a it's really just a breathwork app, and but they actually have a whole section of cold plunge uh, breathing sessions. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to just, you know, put on my headphones, let somebody talk me through it. Cause I'm really good at <laughs> oh, taking nice. instructions like, okay, now, now put your foot in, now yeah. put the other foot in. <laughs> so that's easier. It is true though. I mean, to kind of take a directed approach as opposed to just saying, oh, I got to get in this freezing cold water right now. How do you feel yeah. afterwards? I feel, I mean, honestly, I feel amazing. I mean, I really do feel amazing. And I've, I've, I've known Wim Hof for a very long time. And, and so he's been a, he's kind of the guru of the, of the cold plunge for many years back. And, you know, as a, as a longtime runner, this was actually a benefit, strangely of COVID, but as a longtime runner, I just assume that I knew everything there was to know about breathing. Like I've been, you know, I, I run it. 18,000 feet. I, you know, all these things. And, um, during COVID I actually read, uh, that James Nestor book uh, called breath. And I thought it was just, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, I'm a writer. So first of all, I thought it was just like phenomenal in that sense, but uh, it just made me understand better that, uh, lung health specifically is quite literally the greatest determiner of longevity and people are always looking for hacks and other ways to live longer and you know fasting this and keto that and all kinds of craziness and like it's it's there's really some basic things that people can do and so i'm i'm super focused these days on trying to to use the the simple approach um, to just my overall health yeah, I like your attitude about it too. I read it somewhere. You're, you know, you don't do these things to try to life hack to live longer because we can't escape. You know, <laughs> no, we all this have a death anyway. Yeah, we can't. It's happening. Um, I want it to be a good story. That would right. be great. I don't. I don't want my ass to be sitting on a sofa with a remote control no. in my hand, <laughs> choking on I a piece be- of pork rind eaten, right, <laughs> eaten by crocodiles or something. Fall right, off no, my you don't want that. I take it. I take it. It would be a great. I just think about what stories my kids would get to tell forever. So <laughs> that would be a good one. Uh, yeah. Um, let's move on because so, I could do. Yeah, we could circle back to this stuff. But you want to post session? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, piggybacking on what you said about if you wait too long to just dive in that waffling kind of you can just talk yourself out of the polar plunge maybe or uh, for me surfing. A couple of days ago, I had just a great surf session with friends. It was just a nice group of people out, and it was so fun. And the next day, it was foggy, so you couldn't see the camera. We're so spoiled now. We can, from bed, look at the waves from bed and then make a call. Like, is it worth getting out of my snuggly (laughs) bed to go surf? Well, it was foggy, so we couldn't even see. So I rode out there, packed everything. But already in my mind, I was like, oh, it's high tide. It's not going to be breaking. And there is something about just that introducing that I'm not sure mode because Mm. then I didn't go because 
it was not great, but I would have still had fun. But I didn't go out because I spent too long on the pier watching it, thinking, oh, it's getting worse. It's getting worse. Oh, gosh. Instead (laughs) of just having fun with it. Yeah. 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 So lesson learned. Well, getting out of bed is like the whole battle for me. If I can make it out of bed, I can charge whatever's happening. Well, the wetsuit. getting out of bed. (laughs) How about you, Ash? Oh, well, let's see. Yeah, I watched Cape do Polar Plunge in the river yesterday. No classes until end of April. Um, But my daughter, our daughter, not ours. Not ours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Ren and she, uh, both of my kids are avid bikers. They're just Mm -hmm. really good on top of some wheels. They, they do a lot of trail riding. We do as a family, some trail riding and everything. And Ani has been wanting to ride her bike to school. So we've been doing that in the morning. Nice. Yeah. And, um, she's mostly excited about showing her bike off to her friends. (laughs) Sure. Uh, But that is what I did this morning. Oh, nice. Woke up and I, we try to push a little hard to get some burn, but also I want this to be some good mommy daughter time. And I don't want her to hate everything that she does with me because we turn it yeah. into something cruel. Um, yeah. So we got up and How I, old is she? she's nine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, I always say, I mean, look, everybody, I have audiences all the time, raise their hands. I make it a joke. I'm like, raise your hands. If you, you know, if you hate running, like if you just absolutely hate it. (laughs) Right. Right. And so 90% of the audience, if it's not a running group, you know, will raise their hands. And I'm like, Oh, so like you hate, you hate fresh air. You hate, you know, (laughs) outdoors, you hate birds. And, you know, but it's, we, we were all born to run. I mean, that's the way we're built. Literally our physiology is, is such that we're supposed to be runners. And, and when you're a kid, all you want to do is run. Mm -hmm. And it's not until some, you know, somebody says it's exercise. Yeah. Some PE teacher in middle school uses it as an, uh, a punishment Mm -hmm. or it becomes a chore and this little thing clicks and those little, young brains and all of a sudden it becomes something that they dislike. And so that approach to cycling or running or anything is so uh, healthy and you can go faster later, man. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, for kids, it just, it literally needs to be fun every single time as much as possible. Yeah. Well, like you said, it, it naturally is too. Yeah. Until we make it as parents (laughs) and coaches, we're the ones that actually ruin the experience. Yeah. But you know, something I, I learned from, um, Ed George, cause he talked, you know, I, I don't remember how many miles we ran that day, but we had plenty of time to talk. And, um, one thing he said is, yeah, when Charlie comes, he's accomplished all this stuff, but you don't realize it when you're running with him. Cause you're just running, you're making, yeah. you know, it's, uh, you're running for the love of, of the run, which is really hard for me to remember sometimes when I'm doing things. Well, 95% of the running that I've done has been alone and on trails or on roads. They haven't been in races, you know, less than Mm -hmm. 5% of my total miles have actually been in races. And so anybody who it's cool to win races and accomplish this and that. And obviously I know you have some, some records of your own and, all that's great, but if you if you don't actually love the thing that you do enough to go do it without anybody watching or giving you a medal, then you probably don't actually love it all that much. No, <laughs> and, and you can't stay after it because you're right. Yeah. The medals don't come yeah. very often. Yeah, no. 
They yeah, don't. and I couldn't be a person that exercises unless it was something that I, I picked a sport that I was, you know, cardio and strength yeah. or whatever, but it was something that I really loved doing. And that yeah. biking I love doing, but running, uh, maybe you'll convince me during this podcast. Yeah. Well, it is it is just an approach and you you will be convinced unless you have a physiological reason not to do it. No. It's, uh, <laughs> you know. All you got to do is walk, man. That's it. You just walk and you, you go out for a 30 minute walk and three or four times during the walk, you just, you pick it up and run for 30 seconds, but it's, it's slow. The mistake people make, especially athletes is that it's like, it's got to hurt or it's not effective. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's about, I, I mean, I, Ed gives me a hard time because I look like, I mean, I'm 60 and but by the time I was 40, I had a, I had the best old man shuffle ever because it's super, <laughs> you know, it's super efficient. You know, my role, my job when I'm trying to run 100 miles is to save energy. So, yeah. you know, I only want like the knees down. Move, like I don't need to look pretty. I just want to keep going. And wow, how long I, did I it think, take to learn that lesson? <laughs> it took a, way too long. Yeah, way too many crash and burns after going out too fast and. You know, I mean, it, it was a, it was a lot of hard lessons, but good ones. I mean, I, I use those same lessons on stage when I'm speaking, but also when the inevitable hard times in life come, you know, I mean, it's, there's certain steps that you take when things get difficult and it's it, the athletic choices that you make uh, actually translate really well to the rest of life. If you know how to use them. That's why I think it's so important for the kids especially to be involved in some sort of athletics even if you know even if they're not athletically inclined they can still run they can still do those things because it's a great metaphor for for yeah. life well invariably if your kid's playing three sports they will love the one that they're the worst at and you want to tell them look you should you should are you sure you don't want to do this yeah, <laughs> yeah. you really suck at fact, that one <laughs> right but the fact is at that age and you know i mean there's always there's just always time to you know at that age to to find focus and find that energy and and again it's cool to play college sports and to do that kind of stuff but that's such a tiny part of your overall life mm -hmm. well, go ahead well, I was just going to say, after the post-session notes, we usually move into an injustice of the week. And we sent you an email about that, but I was curious yeah. if you had an injustice, because if you didn't, we might have picked one for mm -hmm. you. <laughs> an injustice can be anything. It could be... Yeah, no, I, I'm my brain is going immediately to, um, you know, my... Man, so as you know, in my story, addiction and recovery is is part of it. So I work with a big veterans group. So this is just where my mind went. So yeah. I'll, I'll go with this Great. one. And, um, you know, the I'm not a veteran, but the, the veteran population, of course, especially combat veterans are is rife with, of course, PTSD, but substance use disorder. I mean, it's pretty much across the board because it, it just goes hand in hand with the you know, the struggles that they've seen. And um, uh, two of the guys that I've been working with, you know, recently, and these are guys who try attempted suicide in the past, uh, you know, mm. both of them had friends who, who successfully, unfortunately, committed suicide in the past week. And 
Both of these guys, you know, made multiple attempts to reach out and ask for help and to try to get into treatment and rehab. And, you know, I didn't know that at the time I could have helped, but, you know, red tape and, um, you know, and nonsense uh, is usually the barrier that stops people from, you know, from getting the help they need. And like, what it that- just, it just, yeah, it just struck me as just so freaking unfair. And, you know, these are guys who both did 20 years in the, in the service and special forces, badasses, and they, you know, they come back home and they're, it's not the government's fault so much. It's just they, that they're kicked to the curb and they, they lack purpose. They, right. don't, they don't know what to do. And, and so when you say red tape, like. Yeah. And I mean, the red tape is, is, you know, there's not space in rehabs. There's not space in a VA. I mean, most of them are looking at VAs, but uh, they don't necessarily have to, mm-hmm. you know, they can look elsewhere, obviously for, for assistance. And most of the top treatment centers, and I work with many, uh, there's one in Maryland called Ashley Addiction Treatment Center that I'm very close with. And they're, you know, they're a nonprofit, but it's, yeah, it's 20 grand to, to go there for a month. Wow. So it's not cheap, but they have scholarships, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if you can't pay, it can be either be adjusted to what you can afford or potentially even free. Wow. And those places are everywhere. And you just, the problem is advocacy. You know, people need an advocate. They need someone to help, to help them and to be on their side and, and, you know, to tell them that, you know, there is a way to do this, but, you know, they just like with sobriety, you know, they need to take the first step towards, you know, helping themselves. So, yeah, right. that's that's one of a probably long. I probably have too many injustices. <laughs> maybe you know, maybe um, because two things come to mind. One, you said advocacy. Maybe it should be mandatory where when these guys do get out of service, instead of just uh, here's the number to the VA, good luck. There was an advocate that said, "Hey, um, here are your options. It's mandatory yeah. that you." go into a treat, maybe not even a treatment facility, but just something like John Dornellis, the last uh, guy we had on the podcast, he does, he uses free diving as a way to help people with addiction recovery and, um, and PTSD and all the things you're talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, he uses breath work and those kinds of challenges and, and has had great success with it. So even those alternative options or yoga, you know, yeah, or whatever, yeah. yeah, but but just no. I I love that idea. I mean, it's it's and and look, the other thing I tell people constantly is who, people who are stuck need to help other people get unstuck. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you it doesn't have to mean you make service your entire life, but you know, for those people who can't figure out <laughs> some of their own issues, the second you step out of yourself to maybe help somebody else solve that same problem. I mean, I've been sober 30 years and I mean, I still, I get emails and texts every single day from friends and strangers alike, you know, who have a family member or themselves who are, are struggling. And I, I, they're always so grateful for my time. And I, I, I like to point out that it's, they're doing me a favor by asking, you know, I mean, well, and you guys with the gifts that you have, you know, my very first sponsor 30 years ago, you know, had a saying that was just, you know, to keep it, you have to give it away. So whether it's free diving, whether it's surfing, whether it's running, whatever it is, if you're not like actively helping someone else without any expectation of a return, Mm -hmm. like you're not getting, you mean, you know, 
You're not I mean, getting yeah, the full stoke. Right. I mean, it, mm -hmm. there's nothing but your satisfaction to like see a person actually be successful, even for a minute, doing something that you taught them how to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't know of many things more satisfying than that. Well, that's a pr pretty um, biblical premise. Also, I, it's not about you. You know, yeah. it's the like totally. the first thing you learn. It's not about you, and when you can make it about somebody else, in turn, your cup is filled. Also, well, I think uh, yeah. maybe something that's a barrier is that feeling of if you're stuck. How can I be of service to someone else? Or how can I, yeah. I don't have it. I think a lot of people think I've got to have it all together before they reach out. And that's just not true. Because no. none of us. Not only is that not true. It also doesn't have to mean that it's an impact for, you know, dozens or hundreds of people. You know, it can be an impact for one single, you know, person out there. And, mm -hmm. and like literally, and I think if your mindset on any given day, maybe it should be every day, is that when you go out the door, you're literally going to find somebody to help. And I don't, I don't, I mean, even if it's just opening a door or a simple conscious act of yeah. doing something nice for someone else, having a chat with somebody for three minutes in the waiting room or while you're in the line for groceries or, you know, whatever, it just, it really does make a big difference. And you, you're kind of a, you know, you're an ambassador for yourself and for life, like every minute of the day. And, yeah. and, you know, if you approach it that way, can't always be, you know, can't always be up here every minute. But, yeah, it can um, always be level 10. Yeah. <laughs> but, but even if but you're level five, happens, you can still smile at the cashier and ask how their day yeah, is. Totally. And usually someone else will when you're feeling that five, you know, there's probably somebody else that'll pop into your life that in that moment to make things better or potentially make things worse. That was one thing when I read your book that struck me and I, I didn't get to meet you, but when you read what somebody has written, you get a good idea of what they're about, even by reading between the lines. And, uh, you know, people say that David Goggins is the toughest man on earth. Mm -hmm. And when you listen to him talk on podcasts and stuff like that, he has a very, maybe it's not a different approach than yours, but his approach is completely all different. New. Completely different. You guys both have a little bit of, uh, like you can turn it on also, Charlie. I watched yeah. Running the Sahara. You can turn on the sure. crazy too, yeah. but it seems like that's what drives him is staying in that that state, where your approach is much more graceful and um, and joy filled, which is really magnetic. And I, think I appreciate that. It, yeah. it makes you kind of an effective person to to um, be a voice in the world because we want to listen to people like that. I, I thank you so much for that. I mean, look, David is a I wouldn't call him a friend. I mean, we've known each other forever. Um, he's not really a person that has friends. And I mean, I think it's a, I feel badly for him, actually, that, you know, that he doesn't just form those he doesn't see the value in those kind of relationships particularly. But for me, my experience has been, cause it, it holds true for addiction or trying to help somebody get sober or do anything. It's only a, there's only a certain amount of yelling at somebody or of, you know, cursing at them or whatever, that's actually going to be motivating. And right. that might really get you fired up for a while. Right. But I, I look at my job as getting to the core of, uh, helping someone answer that question for themselves. Cause I'm not the person to tell you like, 
if you wanted to run a marathon, um, I'm not the guy to tell you how many miles to run on Tuesday. I mean, I, I could do it, but it's not what I enjoy doing, right. but I could definitely make the case for why you should do the marathon. And, and it gets down and they're going to be the same reasons of, that you should surf or that you should free dive yeah. because they're the, <laughs> they are getting to those core places in your soul that, that, that feed you and that allows you to feed other people. And, you know, David, for whatever reason, uh, you know, he's had a lot of pain, man. He just, but he's not interested in addressing it. He wants to use it as fuel. And, you know, I mean, that's, it's made him very popular and it's made him a lot of money. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm in no position to, you know, criticize that. And I do believe, I mean, I, I will give him great credit for this, you know, that style has gotten a lot of people off the sofa to at least get started. And right. whether they, whether they stick with that kind of an approach, I don't know, but, um, it, you know, half the problem as we know is getting people to take the risk to, to begin. Start. Yeah. Well, I find his approach effective when you're bench pressing and you need to get from here to here. That's, <laughs> that's when you need that approach. <laughs> it's not going to get me uh, to the gym. You know, it's not going to do that. And, and calling me fat's not either. But um, yeah. I can't uh, I can't beat him in pull ups, but I've never lost to him in anything else. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. The pull up thing. Right. Yeah. Um. I, I did, I, I don't know, I drew a lot of parallels between you guys because you're both uh, so tough and, and so good, but yeah, very different. Well, that kind of brings us into the dive deeper section of the podcast and you already touched on it just now in, in your answer, but I noticed in the book, um, you talked a lot about um, it, running was something that you enjoyed as a kid. So, mm -hmm. but it, it's, an, it's your destiny. Running has mm -hmm. been a part of your destiny. Running has been a coping skill. Are you still there? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Ashley's changing. Don't cut me off. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I had to change the screen for a minute, but keep... okay. So running has been a coping skill. It's been something that you delighted in. And it's also been part of your destiny. And I kind of think like earlier on, coping skill was, you know, if you think of a pie chart, it was a huge percentage of why you ran. And then maybe the delight and the destiny part are lower percentages. I'd just be curious as you look back, you know, where you are now and what, mm -hmm. what does the pie chart look like now for running being the coping skill or running being that delighted thing that you enjoy and love? And if that's, Man, that's, that's no, I appreciate that question very much. And, and the, uh, as I'm thinking, you are absolutely correct. Early on, it was a coping skill, 100%, but that coping skill was for my safety and everyone else's. Right. Right. <laughs> it was a because I mean, I was, I was a mess and, you know, and it was, you know, I, I've done a lot of work in recent years. Uh, there's a, a friend of mine and just an amazing author named Gabor Mate. And he's, you know, he wrote a book recently called The Myth of Normal. And he's a, you know, 85 year old, you know, Hungarian Jew who was in the concentration camps. Wow. And he's just like, he's just this brilliant, brilliant mind who talks about trauma 
you know, and trauma-informed disease pathology even, and considering addiction to be a disease, it's a complicated thing, but let's just call it that for a second. You know, there's a lot of reasons that I became the person that I was, and some of those I dismissed in my childhood because if my father, you know, was yelling at my mother or even physically abusive to my mother, he wasn't actually doing it to me. I mean, that's how I, that's how, when I look back on it, that's how I viewed it. Now I look back on it in a completely different way. And I understand that he in fact was doing it to me also. And the, the effect of that kind of thing in the household and how it just drove things in all likelihood had uh, some real impact on, you know, the behaviors that I ultimately ended up with, with drinking and drugs and just this, this need to have this outlet. And when running, you know, when I got sober and running really entered my life in a, in a much more serious way, um, I ran equal parts for relief for a little bit of self, you know, flagellation because, you know, I also felt like a piece of crap. So, you know, why not make myself suffer? Yeah. Um, you know, so it was, so it took a long time for that pendulum to sort of swing the other way and the true joy of running. Now you mentioned in like in the book, you know, when I was you know eight years old living here in Durham, North Carolina, running in thunderstorms and my pink underwear because my mother (laughs) invariably turned everything pink in the laundry. Um, uh, You know, and I had hair halfway down my back like that was, I remember those moments like, you know, they're visceral and they're, they're embedded in me. And that was like true joy of just physical movement. And I do still carry that today. And, you know, and I use it, I use it all the time, you know, as my, as my age has gone up and my body is less cooperative, um, it's not quite as joyful every day as I would like it to be. But, um, you know, but I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful tool that I get the great benefit to use to go out my door into nature, you know, on my feet or on a bike and, and just be out there in the world. And I mean, it saves me every single day. Sometimes, and I don't know if you would ag- agree with this or if you feel the same way. Cape just walked in, uh, my five-year-old. But anyway, nice. um, after you do something so long and you enjoy it in that capacity, sometimes you, I do anyway, forget why I do it. Like mm-hmm. Even with the free diving, I'm out there and I forget why and I'm, uh, because that's done. That's over with. That's Mr. Charlie. And I just get to enjoy it for what it is at that point. Kind of yeah. like uh, yeah. I've come full circle. Yeah, well, you don't have to set a record every time you free dive. And you can go and just enjoy the beauty of a place or, you know, whatever it is. And that's, you know, I mean, I've literally run across like 40 countries. And I mean, most of them totally anonymously and Nobody's giving me a medal at the end, mm-hmm. but I get a chance to experience culture, uh, landscape, beauty, all of that, you know, while being fully immersed in it, not from the back of a backseat of a car or a bus. And, you know, and I just I just think that that's, you know, I mean, nature is the it's the it's 
just so important, you know, every single day, you know, for me to get out in it, no matter what I'm doing, you know, just to be outside, hot, cold, Mm -hmm. doesn't matter, you know, just to feel that it, it saves me. You know, Kate, Kate being here is a great segue because I couldn't help but notice that, and I love your spirit of adventure. Um, but as a mother, a lot of what you've done has taken incredible sacrifice mm-hmm. and there are sacrifices that I'm not willing to make, you know, it, yeah. sometimes in the morning, cause I, I tell my husband how important it is for me to go out and do my run in the morning. Sometimes I just scrap it out of guilt yeah. or whatever. I just, I don't want to leave the kids. Sure. So I'm sure. wondering, I'm wondering if you had to do it all again, if you would make the same decisions or if you have any kind of, um, hesitations about missing some birthdays, missing. Yeah, those totally. That, that's hard. I mean, look, my, my kids would tell you, you know, as much as they were proud of me for like running across the Sahara desert, you know, they, <laughs> they probably would have rather that was just at home for those, you know, mm-hmm. many months that I was gone. You know, I made a choice a long time ago that I was just never going to have a real normal job. Um, it just wasn't how I was built. And so that's meant that almost everything that I've done has been um, for segments. And when I'm gone, I'm just gone. Like, and I'm gone for, you know, months at a time. And uh, and then when I'm home, I'm home for months at a time. Um, you know, my kids were just here yesterday. We were setting up this uh, fantastic uh, uh, red light uh, sauna for mm-hmm. me yesterday. And, you know, and they're 30 and 28 now. And I mean, we're, I have this big adventure coming up next year, uh, going from the Dead Sea, you know, to Mount Everest. And they're going to come along, you know, for some or, you know, who knows. We That's could even awesome. End up in- so I would say you know, what I tell parents all the time, and I certainly don't get involved in other people's parenting, but I, I remind parents, especially if you're, you know, 25 or 30 and like you've, you've basically spent 30 years becoming your own kind of fully formed human being. Mm -hmm. And most of us, most would probably, most of us would probably say, you know, until about that age, we really didn't have a clue. We thought we did, nope. but like yep. all of a sudden, like there we are. And then now, just because you've had a child, like everything that you ever dreamed of doing goes out the window because that's what most mm-hmm. people do. They're like, oh, my child is my only priority. And I, I just don't see, you know, that, that isn't how I did it. And I know it's not how my mother did it. I'm not saying she was far from perfect, but like I just went everywhere with her. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, and things have changed, you know, we, it is interesting how we think it's more important as parents for kids to have, you know, 12 hours of soccer per week than it is for us to have a few hours of running or diving or whatever, because we put ourselves second and it's not true. And I also think it sets a poor example in a way, because our kids need to see that we are we are real people with real dreams and stuff that we still want to do. And then of Mm -hmm. course the best of both worlds is that you bring them along to do these things, you know, with you, at least if not all the time, but to really get back to the core of your question, absolutely. I was gone way too much. My first marriage, you know, we, I'm still great friends with my kid's mom, but like we, we made a decision as a couple though. I mean, I, I had a business that I could make a lot of money chasing hailstorms around the world. 
I could have done a much better job. And my kids will tell you that I was gone too much. But, you know, my wife was able to stay home with the kids for the first 10 years of their lives. And and I was gone six months a year. So mm-hmm. would it have been better if I had made a lot less money? We both worked full time and the kids were in daycare. I have no I idea. So. That's what, <laughs> I mean, I don't think so either. But like I don't a lot of people, that's the choice that they make. Mm-hmm. And like, you, you know, you kind of just make your choice and you you live with it. And look, anybody who tells you any different, um, you know, we all screw our kids up. I mean, it's like, it will, I, I, mean, I mean that, yeah, I mean that totally like, you know, tongue in cheek, some much worse than others, but like, it's, it's, it's unavoidable. The point is to be, you know, I grew up in a, with a father who unfortunately never made a mistake in his life. And so, you know, wow. there wasn't, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so there wasn't bad. any, never, uh, never an apology for anything, never a, just never. And I mean, literally never. You know, and and luckily, uh, you know, my mother was the exact opposite of that. Needless to say, they weren't married very long. And, um, you know, and so I did have somebody in my life who was didn't matter what I said to her. uh, You know, I could tell her I was going to, you know, swim to the moon and she'd like be like, oh, my God, that's the best idea I've ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it, Charlie. Chase your dream. (laughs) I'm really asking you that not to. I don't want to. I wasn't trying to be too personal, but because I am a parent, I'm just curious. I'm always gathering information because, you know, Ren and I are very much, uh, let's bring the kids along. Both of them have been sailing extensively, you know, and on the boat, we were still chasing records when they were young. Um, And it's just hard to know, especially in, in this kind of climate, because Ren works most of the time. Yeah. I work through the summers, through the dive season, but otherwise mm-hmm. I'm home with the children, but we take a pay cut to live that way. Yeah. And it's worth it. It is worth it. I could not yeah. imagine. I could not imagine clocking in every day and farming no. out the parenting to somebody no. else. And then no. I, I, I mean, think a lot again, of parents just do kind of like what you said is like you did the best with what you had in the moment, like you mm-hmm. were managing, you know, your mental health, you were mm-hmm. providing for your family and you were given the best that you had in the, at the time. And yeah, yeah we can always look back and go, oh, why, did, yes. why didn't sure. I do this? <laughs> but I think that's just it. You know, just like when you're looking back at the relationship with your parents as a child and then coming to, you know, being more aware past 30 of, oh, this is why I thrived in this environment, or this is why, you know, addiction was so easy for me. Well, let me, let me point out the most obvious addiction these days. And it's this little thing. And it's it's mine. It's mine. It's, I don't know about you guys, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's, and unfortunately we are, you know, both of my boys, you know, they're actually my younger ones better, uh, you know, better than any of us at sort of setting it aside and not having it, you know, in front of his face all the time. But, you know, it's, it's going to be, I mean, the time that you're raising your kids is so significantly different than the time I raised mine. And it wasn't that long ago, (laughs) but it's like phones literally have, they've changed everything, um, you know, because, 
it's just, and it's not healthy in social media. But you know what I'm hoping? So your mm-hmm. generation, you're a few above me, you're one above me, but our generation was not ready for that kind mm-hmm. of input. And so I feel like the older generations are super abusive with the phones and, and, and yeah. the screens because they just were not taught to leverage the power. Uh, but like you said, your youngest son is better than anybody at kind of yeah. making the separation because yeah. he's so native to it. And yeah, true. Kind of, it's true. He does one social media post, you know, a month probably. And he, mm-hmm. but it's incredibly thoughtful. Like he'll write a full, <laughs> you know, it's long, oh. it's 10 photos. It's, it's basically a synopsis of his previous month instead of wow. the, the drip, drip, drip every day. That's of, a thought. I have hope for the future, though. I think the kids will learn responsibility in a way that we didn't. 2012, they were in our pockets and that was it. No warning, no pacing, nothing. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, I was curious. um, Running, I would guess, is your number one favorite thing. Is there a secondary favorite activity or exercise or... um, runner up to running. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, I'm not kidding when I say, and it's, I can't believe I'm actually saying this. I mean, cycling is the obvious one because I do love to uh, bike and I am, um, this sounds very self-congratulatory, but I'm actually a better cyclist than I am a runner. Wow. It's just that I chose running as, you know, running was the thing I really wanted to do. But interestingly at my age at 60, as my miles actually decrease in running just because my body can't take it anymore, you know, my miles are increasing on the bike. And I actually have, you know, like I'm going to go sometime in the next couple of years, I'm going to enter Ram, a race across America bike race. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm going to go there to, you know, win the race as a 63 year old or whatever I'll be. I'm not saying I'm going to win it, but I mean, I will be going there not to just to win it. Yeah. Yeah. Not to just be a participant. Might as well visualize winning. (laughs) Yeah. But the other thing is breath work. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit, but it's really changed a lot of things for me, you know, because it's the holotropic, you know, music oriented guided breath work is super powerful because I'm a terrible meditator. I'm mm-hmm. partners with Deepak Chopra in a, an addiction related business. Like I'm, I've got people around me who are the gurus of meditation and I can't keep a, I can't, well, I was going to say, I can't keep a thought in my head. The goal, I guess, to keep a thought out of my head. <laughs> yeah. But it seems like running um, is, is your meditation. It is. And it is. And, yeah. and I tell people all the time that running is actually a beautiful meditation. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, try to be present and notice sound, sight, smells, you know, feel mm-hmm. all of that, you know, really intently. But the, but the breath work is very psychedelic even, you know, I mean, if you, and again, this from other guests recently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and certainly I know, well, probably both of you can hold your breath for a while, but you know, you, you do. It's, I mean, it's actually just science, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's CO2 buildup and it's like, it's not, it's not rocket science even, it's just physiology. And like, when you build that up, you are going to get this very lightheaded, semi-euphoric feeling. And I, but I like the progression and, and as a runner, you know, I could hold my breath a couple of years ago for, you know, a minute, 
like probably comfortably. I mean, it wasn't so nothing interesting, but after starting to do breath work, just after a few months, you know, I was able to like hold for four minutes at the bottom and, and then take one deep breath in and hold for another, you know, three minutes at the top. And like, that was, and I felt great and I slept better and I'm, I'm like on whoops advisory board. So I use a wearable. And so, I mean, I could literally track the changes in my, in what was going on. And so breath work, I would call it the most meaningful and because it's peaceful and I don't have to think about work or bills or, you know, anything going on because you, you have to be focused. Um, it really takes me away. And I mean, I would, I would call it my, my most favorite thing these days. Awesome. That's cool. <laughs> Ashley's loving that. Yeah. You know, you know, the most um, addictive aspect of freediving for me is that it puts you into that flow state almost immediately and mm. you don't have to try. Like sometimes when you're running, I, I don't know how you are when you're running, but um, the thoughts come and then they go. And then 15 minutes later, I realize I'm focused on something completely different. And sometimes yeah. I'm just hearing my breathing, but sometimes I am thinking yeah. I'm like writing a book in my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when you're free diving and some of that is flow state ish, but in free diving, you must be singularly focused mm -hmm. and you're so focused that you're not aware of, of the focus, especially when you're practiced and you know, you got the muscle memory going on so that you're just looking for that headspace. I like, actual diving better than, than just breath work because it's also active for somebody also yeah. like me that doesn't necessarily enjoy meditation because yeah. it, because it takes too much time. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. too much time laying there. I feel too busy. Yeah. Um, well, if you can do something physical right. and yeah. meditate basically, yeah. then that's better. It's free diving is active meditation. Yeah, totally. And that's well, what totally. I, I that. So have you, yeah. Dabble. You're going to help me. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to yeah, help you. She's going to help you. You're going to do some free diving at, on your 5.8. I've, I've got my notes here. This is Correct. what I keep looking. Correct. Yeah. Tell me. And I freely, I freely admit, you know, people, look, I am a big fan of, uh, I understand free diving, mountaineering, rowing. These are things I'm going to be doing. There, There's inherent dangers involved. So I need to know what I'm doing. So it's mm -hmm. not like I can just it's not like I can just wing it. I'm not suggesting that, but I also think that over preparation, mm -hmm. overthinking causes that paralysis. classic, you know, paralysis exactly of analysis. And yes. we just, we get stuck and not taking the first steps or, or doing it. Like when I do my free dive, I don't know if we're talking about this yet, but when I, when I do this, it's, it started almost as a sort of a tongue in cheek joke for me because I'm going to do it in the Dead Sea at when the beginning of the expedition. So January of next year yeah. is when Dead Sea to Everest starts and it'll start on the 15th. And that'll be the day that I'll do a free dive in the Dead Sea. So we'll do a, a run from like Old Town, Jerusalem, big group of people, about six miles to the Dead Sea and then get in kayaks and rowboats and whatever other contraptions we can find paddle out into the Dead Sea. And, and I will probably be the only one, but maybe not. Um, but I'll probably be the only one to do a free dive. And the, when I first said it out loud a couple of years ago, I was like, and the person I was talking to said, why would you do that? And I'm like, 
Well, if anybody ever wants to do this after me, I just want to make it, I want to make them go a little lower, <laughs> right? Yes. So I'm like, if, I'm like, if all I accomplish is 20 feet, they got to go 21. If yeah. I can go 40 feet, they got to go 41. That's my and, question. How deep are you going to go? <laughs> well, and so, I mean, this is where you, you can actually, you know, help me. I mean, my, my goal was 50 feet. And so, you know, I can do uh, I can, can do better. Do better yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, okay, look, my dream goal when I first said it out loud was a hundred feet. Yeah. And then of course, I went, and then I went diving a few times, but not with anyone but myself. And look, I'm a, I was a deep water uh, certified like scuba diver years ago. And I did a ton of snorkeling and, you know, and I wasn't a snorkeler that stayed on top of the water. You know, I, I dove down, whatever, 20, 30 feet and grabbed something and came back up. So I at least had familiarity with what it felt like to, you know, have to like pressurize, mm -hmm. you know, and hold my nose and whatever for a second. And the thought of being able to go. So now I know that I can hold my breath much longer than I used to be able to. And I kind of understand more about breathing and breath work now it's eliminating the panic piece mm -hmm. yeah and 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 the thing is look we've already had an hour conversation almost about what it's about is vulnerability you know and i i think the mistake that a lot of people make is they think they're going to hear some from someone like me and i've got all the freaking answers i got a lot of questions <laughs> <laughs> But that's you know, and that's, but that's the, that's the whole point, right? As I'm, I'm able to say, look, I'm afraid of this. Like there is a part of me that, that this, this makes me afraid. I'm actually weirdly not afraid because I've done a lot of mountaineering. I'm not afraid of Mount Everest, but I'm, uh, I'm afraid of the free dive and I'm afraid actually of the, there's a thousand mile row in the middle of this thing across the Indian ocean. And I'm also not a rower. I'm a kayaker, which does you very little good when you're rowing. Um, so, you know, go ahead. But you're, um, you're a smart guy and mm -hmm. you know, you're saying a lot right here, but you already know the answer when you have those, those questions and those gaps in knowledge, you seek maybe a, an expert or somebody who knows what you're about. because here's, here's what, even though you're doing the breath work, um, like a class, something that we offer just takes the learning curve and squashes it for you. You yeah. already said it's, it's totally. not rocket science, but it is science and it's purely technique and people will yeah. routinely come into the class. And after just a day of talking about this stuff, they'll be doing four minute breath holds, sometimes five minute yeah. breath holds yeah. because yeah. it simply is technique. So I would love to invite you as my guest to, to, um, maybe jump in on one of the intermediate classes and let's try to go for that hundo. It'd be fantastic. And then, and then there's also figuring out the physics of trying to dive in the world's saltiest body of water. Yeah, we can handle that. Um, Cause yeah. literally getting under the, you know, getting under the surface of the water is a challenge. And yeah. And, mm -hmm. A little uh, weight belt, right, Ash? Right. I know you're always weighted probably, but well, in this case, I think you really have to be, uh, maybe not. I don't know. You will. Um, there's ways that we, that we adjust buoyancy and check buoyancy and, and, and we'll teach you how to do that. I dove in the red sea, not the dead sea, but the red sea is also extremely yeah. 
It is. That's where my run across the Sahara finished. Was in the. That's right. You dipped your toes in there. You put it in your mouth. It's salty. (laughs) So I probably wore not quite twice what I would typically wear. Uh, Which is what? Well, when I'm diving for one of my classes in the quarry, I, I wear no weight. Um, okay. I'll wear zero weight. I prefer to be buoyant. I prefer to struggle on the way down a little bit and just use really yeah. good technique to get through the buoyant yeah. zone, but then have a free ride up, which is what yeah. I'm going to suggest to you also. Um, but I would say my normal weighting in a three mil wetsuit. Yeah. Even in the ocean, I don't wear weight anymore these days, but I would, yeah. I'd probably wear four pounds in the Red Sea. Okay. I tell you okay. what, Charlie, I think, you know, Rinda, you her husband is a safety guy for, um, free diving contests and events. Oh yeah. And Ashley, so they could be your team in the Dead Sea. Yeah, it seems like a seems like a trip to the Dead Sea might yeah, be. Yeah, might be in order. Cool. Well, we will definitely at least advise because you Rinda's... can leave your kids for that for a week. <laughs> It'll be good practice for me, Charlie. It yeah. would be good yeah. practice. Hey, so yeah. it's about that time to move into the latter part of our podcast because yeah. we don't want to keep you too long from stuff. Yeah, and I'm I'm good for thirty minutes. So okay. don't 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 rush. Do what okay. you you know. Okay. Well, do you want to ask anything else before we move into the Devo? Um, no, I don't think so. I, I am going to link obnoxiously in the um, in the episode pages about what you've got going on, what you've done, so people yeah. can read about that, but also about yeah. your future endeavors. And then after we wrap up here, I'd like to keep you on for a, a minute to make sure we can tell people how to support you, mm-hmm. if that's an sure. option also mm-hmm. for people. Totally. Well, yeah. I mean, everyone needs Fantastic. money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask, I'm sure you have watched um, Chariots, Chariots of Fire. Of, Fire. Yeah. of course. Of that course. was the great, greatest movies of all time. Yeah. I've and never so, seen it. God, I've I, never seen it. You never you did? See it. No. You've got to see it. But there's this great scene I'm sure you're familiar with where the mm-hmm. sister is like, you're supposed to be doing this and you're supposed to be doing that. And kind of what we were talking about earlier mm-hmm, with the kids and, and he responds, you know, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made yeah. me fast and I yeah. can feel God's delight mm-hmm. when I'm running. And I just, yeah. I was wondering, how do you feel about that quote and what does it make you think of? Yeah, I mean it's a beautiful quote, and I and I I do think it is. You know, we we have such a society of um, feeling self conscious about being selfish, and selfish somewhere along the way turned into like a negative word. Like it's a it's a you know it's something that you say to someone to hurt their feelings, mm-hmm. and you know, and I think in in many ways we know it when we see it, right? We know, we know a person that's being selfish in a certain type of way that is detrimental to other people. And then there's that person that we wish (laughs) we were more like because they're feeding their soul. They're feeding their, uh, their beliefs. Mm -hmm. They're feeding that part of them that understands that if they don't get to feed those parts, they can't possibly be of service to other people. Right. You can't be of service to someone else if you don't know anything about yourself. Yeah. You, you just can't. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't go serve them soup in the soup kitchen or volunteer at 
whatever charity event. That's not service. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is service. I shouldn't say it that way, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, service is a, yeah, service is a lifelong mentality of every single day when the phone rings and you don't feel like answering it. Yeah. Boring. Because <laughs> you know it's right. You know it's somebody that needs your help with something or whatever. I Doing mean, like the it's podcast. It's, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's showing up. Well, you know, you know what I do? I say yes to almost everything. And I'm you know, look, I mean, there's there's times when I need like I know few months from now, as I really ramp up towards January, you know, there will be a time where I need to like be super efficient about, you know, certain, certain things. But I, I mean, I think that I am, what I am meant to do is publicly <laughs> suffer. This is a very, it's a very thing to say, but, Because look, the same, right. And I mean, the same is true about, it, it's also why you know, it was great in the introduction when you threw out the word criminal. And I, I would actually argue with that word. But that's what it's <laughs> Look, semantic. I'm outraged. I'm outraged. Yeah. I wanted that I to be the uh, injustice of the week because yeah. we just hired yeah. all those new IRS agents. And I'm like, look what they did to Charlie. <laughs> you know, because being a convict does not mean no. that, you know, you're yeah. uh, <laughs> you're a criminal. And yeah. um, but anyway, the point is, and I don't know if we're going to talk about that at all, but like the my job whenever I get on stage or even on a podcast or everywhere is to be like, just put a big cut right here and like open up everything that I can. And because I think the thing that's missing so much in the world, especially from people who have like accomplished things, whatever that means. So whether it's business or athletics or whatever it might be, to not share the struggle is dishonest mm-hmm. yeah. because everybody struggles. Success looks different for all of us. Yeah. But I could tell, I don't know anything about you guys' personal lives, but I could tell you which categories your struggles personally have fallen into because they're the same as everybody else's. You know, yeah. there's relationships, there's our, you know, our children, there's our jobs, there's, I mean, there's just, there's really only a few and that, and it almost all looks the same you know, when you take away the, the outer, you know, layers. And, and so I, I, I love that quote because it reminds me too, that I do have to be okay. Cause I'm, I'm in a weird place right now. You know, my wife who's downstairs right now has cancer, but we're six years into this cancer battle. And like, I don't know, we don't know how, when it's going to end, like whatever. And she's like, she's insistent you know, I, I balance, I've canceled trips. I haven't raced much at all for the last five years. I mean, you, you go to my ultra sign up page and there's nothing because you know what, this is where I need to be. And I devote my time, you know, to the person who needs it most, but it is still my role to be, I, I can't just, and she won't let me just shut down the rest of my life forever. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. so she's the one pushing me out the door. Maybe mm-hmm. she's tired of me at this point. Yeah. But like, you know, and, and I think, we have, yeah, totally. She definitely says that. And, <laughs> you know, and we need what I, I mean, the thing that I miss is she was my partner in that. You know, she's a wildlife biologist. She's like the most gifted person outdoors that I've ever known. And so I've been deprived of that. And so is she for almost six years now. Um, so that's why, again, it is, it is a selfish thing that I'm doing right now. Like I'm, I'm spending a lot of time planning, raising money, 
doing all the things, finding sponsors, getting investors, all of that for this next project. And that's what I'm doing. And like, I'm not, you know, there's other things I could probably be doing to be making more money and mm-hmm. <laughs> giving us more always that. security. Yeah. You can always pick right. it apart. That, that never goes away. And I, at his, oh, I'm sorry. His, his, the, the conflict there is illustrated in the Mary and Martha story. You know how Martha thought that Mary was so selfish mm-hmm. because she wasn't helping set the table. She wasn't helping preparing the food. She was sitting there listening to Jesus speak. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, wait a minute. That's not what selfishness looks like. She's right where she needs to be. So he also t- absolves us of some of those. He hasn't absolved me of my feelings of guilt. I struggle with that. <laughs> Yeah, but he's absolved you, and that's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, in your heart, if you're you uh, look, it comes to me. It comes down to motivation. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if your if your motives for any action are so self serving that they're they're completely impure, then it's probably going to cause some sort of a backlash. I mean, there's there's probably going to be repercussions, but like like alcohol and drugs. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, exactly. going out to tie one on and all that, yeah. then or yeah. notoriety, be, you know, just yeah, profane. Well, and it's, we also live our lives through the eyes of other people, right? I mean, we we think about how things look to other people because that's just the way we're all built. You know, yeah. we if nobody saw you do that thing, whatever it was, then maybe it wouldn't feel so impactful or, or so guilt ridden. Maybe it would. Or if nobody read your book or read my book, like how would I feel? Yeah. I would feel like I really didn't write it. (laughs) I'd feel like they really missed out on something. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, I wanted to tell you before we move into Godwaters though, I wanted to about Godwaters. (laughs) Yeah, we're pretty much done. I wanted to tell you uh, something that about your book is that um, it's not always easy to find a really good book written by an athlete <laughs> mm-hmm. or somebody yeah. that didn't have it ghostwritten or not everybody that writes a memoir style book no. is a writer. There's some really no. crappily written books and yours is extremely readable and, um, and well-written. Yeah. You're a good I writer. Mean, it held me captive. Like I, well, that is stop. the highest compliment you could possibly give me because I would much be I'd rather be called a good writer than a good runner. Like seriously, I mean, it's it's my mother was a writer, and it's Mm. an important. um, I took great pride, you know, when I signed with Simon and Schuster for that book. You know, we I asked them, I sent them Mm. everything I'd ever written up to that point, pretty much, and I said, "Can I write this book, Um, or do I do I need a co?" Because you know, look, I'm Mm -hmm. it's they had a lot at stake too. And I'm like, do I need a co-writer? Do I, what do I need? And they absolutely felt they gave me the confidence that I could, that I could write it. And I had an amazing editor because the Mm -hmm. one thing that I do is I'm an overwriter and I know a lot of big fancy words and I don't use them as you can see in the book because I, I believe in writing straightforward stories and just telling simple language is almost more descriptive than florid language. But, um, you know, I took great pride in, in trying to tell a really readable story. And I also knew that I didn't want to like write a drunkalogue. I didn't want it to be, right. you know, 
300 pages of all the crap that I did. Boy, I, I mean, it, it was, it was yeah. rough. Some of that was rough. And, yeah. and honestly, I, you know, I couldn't help, I guess, like Ashley, like, Oh my God, his poor wife. And, and you know, oh, what, I was, totally. what I was thinking about, you know, we always do a scripture and, and that scripture was not the one we picked, but <laughs> I, I remember thinking like, Oh, you know, there's this one where you, you, Paul says he beats his body. He makes his body a slave so that he doesn't mm -hmm. disqualify himself like by being, mm -hmm. you know, by being in sin and temptation or, or whatever. And, mm -hmm. but like, uh, as I was thinking that I was on my way to the beach, I was on my way to surf and I was like, God, what, what are we going to talk? How? And I just sensed, and just sometimes I get a little sense of some, something I think God is saying, but it was just like, I like Charlie and mm. I knew I He's didn't very likable. Come on. No, wait, I honestly, cause I just re was reading. I don't know if I'd finished the book yet, but I was reading it and I was thinking, I don't like Charlie. Cause I was thinking if I was your wife, you know, if I was, yeah. Oh, you know, sure. like, Oh, so much. And, yeah. but so I know it wasn't me that made that thought, you know, like that thought yeah. that came, I feel like that was God. And I, and at the, yeah. you know, of course I like you now. And I, see all yeah. the growth and all that all that has transpired and we can't just i made some of those similar mistakes maybe not to the yeah. extent that you did but i certainly had drinking yeah. and drugs in college and yeah. could have gone a whole different route sure and um and i just think god does like you a lot yeah <laughs> Well, he turned his story around for sure. I, I like the point that you made, though. One thing that I really liked about the book is that you didn't try to make yourself likable. Um, yeah. And actually, I know that you were kind of disappointed, or I don't I don't know if you're disappointed per se, but um, in running the Sahara, where are you? Yeah. In running the Sahara, you know, there were times when you were kind of the bad guy. Sure. But in the book, you were even worse than in the movie. <laughs> there were times I didn't think you I were did. bad in the book. I'm like, why is he getting so bit out of shape? That poor guy is dragging him through the Sahara. He's got to go get a real job now. But or he something. might not have made it if you hadn't have pushed. Well, of course he has a point, but you didn't try to insulate us from no. maybe things that we Any, might think are look. faulty. I really mean it when I say anybody who can't admit that they are both the villain and the hero of their own story mm. is not being, hasn't taken a good look in the mirror lately. Like, Ooh, good. I mean, we, yeah. we, we, it's just the, but, but it's okay. We are forgiven. We are like you, but you have to be open to admitting. And there's people in my life, you know, now, no longer from the Sahara, but anyway, you know, other expeditions, other things that I've done who still, you know, like, I don't know if they hate me or not, but they don't talk to me. They don't because, you know, they, they never could, and I'm not judging them, but they yeah. just never could move past the um, arguments happen in life. And yeah. some of them, the one thing I've been good about in, in sobriety through all these years is apologizing. You know, it may take me a minute, but, you know, I'm not, I don't, to lose a friendship or to, you know, whatever, just because I'm not willing to say I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, it might be a qualified sorry, but, um, you know, it's, it's funny how the movie, so I didn't see the movie Running the Sahara before it, you know, before it aired. I saw it sitting like next to Mia Hamm in a theater in Toronto. 
you know, many years ago. And, and it was, it was incredibly unfair to me. It isn't actually what happened out there, that piece at the end where I like leave my teammates. And that is the thing that I still get. I still get, like, I don't mind the arguments when I, pardon me, I I don't normally, um, especially on this podcast, I would, I would certainly not curse, but I'm going to use one curse word. Is it the F word? Make it a good one. No, it's not that one. It's not that one. Well, like, you know, I mean, I always say that I'm like in, in the film, I'm like 80% good guy and 20% asshole. Yeah. Well, I mean, in my normal life, I'm pretty much about right in there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, so you try, and I always say you try running 50 miles every day, having to manage the entire team. Mm-hmm. There were other people on the team that were struggling with alcoholism and addiction while we were out there. Mm-hmm. These things aren't in the film because that wasn't, I wasn't there to embarrass anyone. I mean, it was just crazy. This, the stuff that, that went on and that we, that I had to, that I had to deal with, which isn't, a, it's not a martyr thing. It's just that, you know, there were times when I just lost it. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I just who lost wouldn't it. under those extreme conditions. Yeah. yeah. I was well, defending I you when she was having a problem with the no. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and and that's what ha- okay, but let me let me present you with this one. I know we need to wrap up in a second, but let, I'll present you with this one thing. What I always say to people is how you feel about that film says a lot more about you than it does about me. Mm-hmm. So if you were a person that grew up and you didn't like like authority or you, you know, you had a PE coach that yelled at you or some guy who, you know, a soccer coach who didn't treat you well or whatever it was, or even a, you know, even a priest or a minister who like was so domineering in their approach that it like turned you off to everything else. And if you had that kind of person in your life and, and you basically ended up like hating them, whatever Mm -hmm. that might mean, then you probably didn't like me in the movie. (laughs) If, if you have been in a position of authority where if you didn't make the decision for everyone to keep going, they would have quit. Then you understand like the, so Mm -hmm. firefighters and policemen and military people and uh, teachers, like all of these people love me and they love the film. And like, I'll, sometimes I'll like apologize in advance for like, I'm sorry, you know, I'm not, I'm not always the nicest guy. And they're like going, what are you talking about? We loved every minute of it. It's like, okay. Yeah, but it, you, that's, that is the thing that I try to make a point to begin with is that in the book and in the movie, you kind of come through and shine through, um, as a real person. There's no yeah. concealing it. And you did keep Kevin going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You did. He would have quit. He would have quit. quit. No yeah. doubt. And, and, and Ray would have quit too. And I mean, it's the one time we saw it in the film was the one of probably 10 times that it actually happened yeah. out there. And, you know, and again, in a, just imagine in your, I mean, in a family, in a, on a team, anything, it, you know, someone has to be the person that says, Hey, get out of the sleeping bag, get your shoes on and let's go, mm-hmm. you know? And, and like, if somebody doesn't step up to say that, whether it's nice or not, then all of a sudden things start to disintegrate. And, you know, a week later, everybody's back home regretting the yeah, fact right. that they didn't stick to the path. So, so. you've got that 20% 
Goggins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only when you need it. You got me. Well, Only when you, you need it. Me. I want to say, you know, when I read that book, especially coming to the end of it, I just want to say how much I admired how you were able to handle. And I was kidding when I said criminal, but you were targeted by the IRS. You were bullied. You were um, given a really shoddy deal. And they put you yeah. in prison for almost two years. And the way that you handled that, the way that you were able to make the most of an off, like that's like my worst nightmare. Yeah. Um situation to be unjustly incarcerated and to still be able to not let it ruin you decades later because yeah. much smaller things have been done to people that cause them to live in a really poor place their entire lives where you yeah. were able to not only make it the best possible situation for you but you made it better for some of the people there and you were able to walk out of there without it taking from you what he intended to take from you yeah totally you go, boy. Well, thank you for that. It means a lot. I'll tell you a super funny quick story. That IRS agent, years later, he retired and he called me about three years ago. He didn't call me. I'm sorry. He emailed me and asked if I wanted to be on his podcast. <gasps> did, no way. Yeah, but what did you say yes? I hope you didn't. I actually say wrote yes. to my I wrote to my attorney and begged him to let me say yes, and he's yeah. like, delete the he's like, delete the email, <laughs> move on with your life. Out. No, <laughs> no, I'm thinking yes, please do that. You need to. That would be amazing. Well, you know, he. I mean, he's I'm not saying struggling. he did me a favor. He cost me a fortune. He really cost me like everything. Yeah. But yeah. you know, you only know who you are when you lose everything. I mean, honestly, yeah. and and who your real I think friends owning. Are. One of the biggest lessons is owning your narrative. You know, nobody, it's why I never get on a stage where I don't talk about going to prison and the reasons behind it and all of that, because I don't want someone like hearing my story and then Googling me later and saying like, hey, wait, he didn't tell us that. Right. Because if, if I say it out loud and I put it out there, nobody else can own that piece of information. And, you know, we always think that other people care about our stuff way more than they actually do anyway. Yeah. You know, not that big. A, I mean, it is a big deal, but ultimately I show up every single day. I can say that. And I'm, I'm a good friend to people and I do what I need to do. And, and that's why, you know, I've been able to be successful. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on our oh little small podcast, little bitty baby podcast. Yeah, I love it. You guys are great. <laughs> I love we definitely want to tell our listeners to, man, if you want to read a really good book, an inspiring book, a hard book, a growth book, Running Man. Yeah. And check out the movie too, Running the Sahara. Yeah. Yeah. It's a f that you can get on Apple, like iTunes, right? I think these days. And, and then the, the book. <clears throat> and then the book is just on, you know, Amazon or whatever. We'll link um, to everything. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My website has stuff. There's a bunch of my talks on my website. There's um, videos about Dead Sea to Everest. You asked about contributing. I would just simply say, you know, to anybody out there that's really interested, it's just, you know, reach out to me. There will be, in the next few months, there will be some opportunities to really, like, do that. But, like, if someone... Uh, wants to be involved in some way and then we'll we got to start making plans for you to come to the, the dead, dead sea, sea. So. <laughs> yeah well, i think you owe a trip to wilmington to do a class first huh yes first for sure 
but yeah, I definitely think I'm going to email you and send you, um, I think you should just do the intermediate and we'll yeah. get you going. And, um, by the way, Ed George texted and says, uh, hi, and he nice. needs to find you for a long run to catch up. All right. I Great. said, Roger. That. I love it. Well, I am going to, I'm going to send you guys. I'm going to send, um, Actually, he might be, I was trying to think about whether he'd be a good person for your podcast, but my orthopedist is, um, he turns 53 in June and he's coming. I convinced him to, uh, he was trying to look at races to do and whatever, but he wanted to do something. I said, look, why don't you just go run 53 miles on the loop at Wrightsville Beach because you can take because you can take your family, uh -huh. you can, you know, people can hang out like other people. If they want to come support you or just say happy birthday, they can come to the beach, which is better than whatever. So yeah, I'm going to connect you guys with, with David. He's a, he's, he's a good guy. Very interesting scientist and orthopedist also, and just a, a good guy. Um, yeah, be great. It, we, we can arrange some people to do some laps with him too. Exactly. If he's going to do exactly. it. Totally. He's good. He's not, you know, he's, he's a normal 53 year old runner. So he's not slow. He's not fast. He's just, you know, average runner. And, um, but I'd love to come. Yeah. I'd love to come. So, mm -hmm. you know, it would be, it would be amazing. And, and, uh, the free diving stuff is very important. And I, you know, and again, I do want to, I want to talk about mentality around that and, and, and seriously, I'm going to, assuming my, my budget is what I hope it's going to be, you know, I am going to, it would be great to have someone that I'm going to need safety. Yeah. I'm going to have a bunch of like, it's going to be three or four Navy SEALs with me and this kind of stuff. So, I mean, we could from a distance set up something that I think would be super safe. And again, cause I'm not trying to like set a record. I just want to make sure that I don't have the world's shortest expedition. <laughs> Safety is super easy with just a little bit of information and training. Yeah. 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 So there's and again, lots of because there's no, there's no wrong answer here. Like I can, I could even do multiple dives if I wanted to, like I could, like, there's no rule. It's my game. Mm -hmm. You know, I get to do, I get to do whatever I want. So I would rather do those Navy SEALs though. I mean, isn't that he was the one in the last episode? The guy was saying the Navy SEALs are the ones that cop out first. Uh, typically yeah. in our classes, yeah. yeah, they they're they're the worst. Uh, huh. They can't. It's, it's a mentality thing. I don't know. It's yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe having the pressure. Well, they're not shooting at anybody while they're underwater. So <laughs> well, water yeah. is a great a great equalizer. Yeah. You can't hide yeah. from anything. You know. Yeah. Uh, you can't. Use water and altitude. Wow. I mean, I was just, I was in Nepal back in November and I was there for an event and there were about 40 of us and far and away the two top athletes in the entire group. They were both Filipino. They were both world champions, like obstacle course racers. And um, they both had to be like airlifted off the mountain oh. um, before the event even started, you know, because altitude is just, again, there's just, there's certain inherent things that, you know, you, you can't necessarily overcome, but I think again, with the free diving, I mean, I'm, I'm not being caught. I have healthy fear, which mm -hmm. is fun. I mean, it's to be honest. Thing. Yeah. And I talk all the time. It's like, we could do another entire podcast on the fact that it's my belief that we spend our lives, you know, chasing 
first experiences because we're, you know, they're so peak. They're so amazing. You know, your, your first job, your first car, your first girlfriend, your first whatever, you know, there's there because there's such a healthy amount of fear that goes along with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can't recreate that on your second car or your second job. Now you've got confidence Mm -hmm. and that, that fear actually heightens the experience so much. After the, uh, after the next event, after your, um, five, eight, we'll do another podcast. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. there we go. No, you're right. The fear keeps you, um, it, it, it really increases your potential also. Yeah. Like being on the verge of hunger and fear or having that healthy anxiety really improves performance. Totally. In the every, water. Every also. time. Every time. Yeah. Okay, you guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you very much. I'll be in contact over right. email. All right. Thank Talk you. to you soon. All right. Bye, Bye you guys. Bye, Charlie. Thanks, Bye. everybody. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening today. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, more details coming later. See ya.